welcome to episode number 78 of New Slang. I'm journalist Thomas Mooney, your host, and on this episode, I am joined by Nathan Wells, the lead vocalist and chief lyricist of Ottoman Turks. Before I get started, obviously it's been a few weeks since the last episode, and the reason for that is simply because I had COVID-19 and was pretty sick from mid-March until just about last week. Uh, I really don't want this introduction to be dominated by the by COVID-19 talk, but I'll just say that it was pretty fucking awful. Uh, I actually had recorded an intro and had this episode ready to go um, basically like the day before it really hit me, um, but I really just wasn't able to finish it up. So uh, yeah, I'm basically having to re-record re the intro and everything. Um, right now, I'm back to normal. I still have a cough here and there, uh, and I haven't been able to know leave my house in basically a month but uh yeah anyways when it comes to ottoman turks and nathan wells you know uh, they they released one of my just i guess pleasant surprise records last year it was their self-titled debut it came out in the uh i guess it was like september so like that late summer early fall area um that record ended up making my top 50 albums of 2019 list. Uh, there's an article on that over on newslanglubbock.com. Uh, there, I had described them as this like mix of of country honky tonk and garage punk grit, uh, just kind of like this mix of the Black Lips and 1100 Springs, you know, like cowboy boots, whiskey pools, Lone Star beer, and just like late night drinking at your favorite dive bar uh, there is this like surf rock element as well in the guitar uh, a bit of like that dick dale and like the ventures uh, thing happening i first met nathan a, a little over a year ago i was doing a podcast with joshua ray walker who is the lead guitar player for ottoman turks nathan was and still is the bass player for joshua's solo shows um so talking to Josh and Nathan at the bar that night, you know, that's when I first heard of Ottoman Turks. We talked about that and a few other, you know, just like Dallas kind of stuff. And uh, not long after that, it was announced that they were releasing a, a record over at the Dallas record label State Fair Records, which if you haven't checked out State Fair Records yet, they're doing some amazing work. They released Josh's debut record, Wish You Were Here. The uh, latest 1100 Springs record. They released The Native by Vanda, uh, by the Vandaliers and just a, a host of others. I strongly suggest heading over to statefairrecords.com. They have a really great selection of vinyl and patches and t-shirts and all that kind of stuff. I'll put a link in the show notes so you, it'll be easy to get over there. As mentioned previously, I do have a new Patreon page set up. I'll be releasing older interviews over there. For $5 a month, you'll get two of them each month. They'll range from the likes of Hayes Carl and Ryan Bingham to William Clark Green and Wade Bowen, Lord McKenna, Terry Allen. I have about 400 of them in my archives. So they started around 2012 and kind of run until last year. Um, I'll have a link to that also in the show notes. It's a great way to help support this podcast and then also just support some future uh, ideas that I have coming up. Speaking of which, another way you can support this podcast is to give it a five-star review 
over on iTunes. Uh, write a review. Share it with your friends, your family, and so on. You know, this is probably a really great time to binge listen to this podcast during this quarantine. Okay, that about wraps up this little bit of an intro. Here is Nathan Wells of Ottoman Turks. Ottoman Turks self-titled last year. Yep, finally. Uh, <laughs> I, I guess, like, you know, I was reading, it's, it was like 10 years since yeah. for, for a debut record, right? It was. Uh, we didn't have the record in the works at all. That was actually, like, kind of... To, uh, we recorded in January and then released it in August, which was a bit of a nightmare. Like mm-hmm. it was a, a tough time putting it out and all that. Uh, but we did it, and it was it was fun in, in the process. Um, but we'd been a band for ten years. Uh, yeah. Josh had been in the band for about seven and a half. Um, but it started in high school, uh, my senior year, and then Billy, uh, who's in, he's a bassist. Uh, it was his uh, junior year. And we were at the same high school. And then uh, Paul, our drummer, is somebody I knew from my previous school. He was in my grade. So we were all kind of getting out of high school. And, and it was like our – we'd been in bands and stuff before and uh, just uh, put this project together to have fun and, and try and, like, you know, play some new music and stuff like that. So Right. It had been a long road. You know, like, um, I think, like, the way I was describing it was kind of like that mix of wherever – um, like 1100 Springs and like Black Lips kind of like crossed <laughs> paths, right? Oh, yeah. And the the high school, like the I guess like the roots of, of like high school make a whole lot of sense to me because sure. like um, actually when I was driving over here, I was thinking about how um, there is this like honky-tonk element, but right. then there's obviously like this like DIY punk sure. garage <laughs> kind of thing and I, I was thinking about how you know when you're like 18 you're not really you're not getting into like these dive bars or anything you're, right. you're playing like punk shows you're playing yeah there was this all ages club in Dallas yeah. that was like the only place we could play but you could also get a gig there without like any experience so it was great for us you know mm-hmm. uh, but yeah definitely and we started in our garage actually we actually practiced in my you know my parents house in the garage and uh, so the garage element of that is kind of true but What's funny is back then we just wanted to be a country band. There was blues in it too, and like some jazz and stuff. We tried different things, um, like we'd pull out an acoustic every now, like yeah. uh, uh, just kind of trying to play all the music that we had like really loved, you know. Um, and it just slowly like kind of turned into what it is. We distilled it all, but the whole time we were trying to be just a country band, uh, it just didn't quite work, you know. There was something missing. Uh, and so eventually we just were like, all right, screw it. We're just going to play rock and roll and have fun. And, and it, we found, like, that was kind of what we were looking for the whole time. Yeah. Well, I mean, like, if you're if you're creating a band in your early years and you don't know what you're wanting, I mean, it makes sense that you try on all these different for sure, yeah. pairs of pants, I guess. You yeah. know what I mean? Oh, yeah, like, definitely, yeah. Um, and some of those pants did not fit, let me tell you. <laughs> but we tried. We had some fun, you know. Yeah. Uh, there used to be YouTube videos of like all our old shows until like last year, and we're like, we should probably take those down because <laughs> uh, they're not not very good. But yeah, uh, the, that's what's funny is like whenever you see the uh, the scrubbing of the internet. Like, yes. Yeah. yeah. Right. Okay. Like, they're getting ready to, for something. Yeah, we need to like get rid of all yeah. this stuff. The um, when bands or artists they'll put out like that EP or that record mm-hmm. early on, and then like all of a sudden. It's off iTunes. Yeah, you can't find it anymore. They become someone who uh, 
has a quote-unquote career, you know? Yes, right. Well, I'm such a, I'm kind of like a romantic about it. I'm like, oh, you know, let's leave it up. It's like, it's fun to hear all the old stuff, and everybody else is like, uh, no, like, uh, this will hurt us, because people are going to search Ottoman Turks and find this old stuff and be like, I don't think they're very good, you know? But Yeah, see, I, I think, like, it's a, like, you, you should use your your growth as, like, a, a badge. You know For what sure. I mean? Like, yeah. it's, uh, I guess, like, whenever you guys played here last, um, I think, like, I, I kind of feel like you, your story is kind of, like, in the same kind of parallel with Joshua's first record as far as, like, yeah. taking a long time to finally say, like, hey, let's get a record. Right. Was, it, was that the same kind of thing for you, or was it more of a just never having the the funds or the means or the I mean it's a bit of both but there was definitely like a moment kind of like Josh where it clicked like oh shoot this is what I want to do you know um like I so me Billy and Paul all went to school together uh at A&M uh is where we ended up I went to school in Chicago for a time and that didn't sit well uh, it's too cold. <laughs> um, so I came home and then eventually wound up at A&M with them. We all lived in a house together. Um, and so we were all we all got our degrees, um, but about the time that we got our degrees, we we're like, uh, <laughs> this isn't, we, we, we really want to give this music thing a go. You're right. Um, and, and a record deal just has always seemed like the most impossible thing. I mean, and then you find out a record deal doesn't really like give you everything that you always thought it did, like in high school and stuff like that. Uh, not to say we couldn't have made the record without it, because um, there is that, the funds, uh, and, and just the connections for certain things and stuff like that, but it really all fell into place uh, in a way that that you could not have planned. Uh, uh, Josh getting his his record out and off the ground, uh, kind of introducing us to John Pettigo and falling in with him, getting really comfortable with him. He'd been to a bunch of shows and had said, like, I'll, we got to record this. Like, I don't care if y'all want to be a band or not. Like, I just want to, like, get it on paper, so to speak. Um, and we were like, yeah, that sounds great. You know, sure, down the line sometime. And it just became more and more of a real thing. We got more comfortable with him. We felt like, okay, he can actually uh, uh, make us sound like we sound. Because we tried before. We, we did a record in uh, 2011, I think, like, right out of the gate. And it just already didn't quite sound like what we thought we sounded like you know yeah. uh that's such a trick that's always a thing with recording but pedigo is incredible at that um and he did it i, I mean we we kind of all we it was a three-day session where we did 20 songs in three days we were like dead after that it literally killed us but um uh so we picked 12 of those and put them on the record uh and then eight more are going to be coming out on the next one it's like basically part two right uh so yeah that was kind of the whole thing but yeah <laughs> yeah it is it's an interesting i think like people think of you know oh let's just it's it's hit record and you guys play the songs and right. it's done but it's it's um it's creating that uh atmosphere and m making sure the, the right mood is 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 going through those songs for sure um which and is a hard thing to do. Yeah, I, I, I think like it's it's it has to both be equally as hard as like creating the uh, the intimacy moment of like a really really intimate and delicate song. Right. But then also at the same time, it probably just as hard to create that raw visceral sure. piss yeah. and vinegar. Especially cause energy. Like you know when you're at a show, I feel like everybody, uh, probably every musician. Uh, 
or at least most, I guess the Beatles were fine in 66, but um, the show's where the, the magic happens, and it's, you know, kind of, even if there's like two people there, uh, it's that connection that really kind of drives what mm-hmm. you're doing. Uh, and so then at, at 12 noon in a rec- uh, studio with just you and the producer or whatever, uh, it's really hard to try, like create that magic uh, artificially, I guess, but um, uh, yeah, that's really the trick. Um, Pettigo's good about it though, man. He was having us do like burpees in the studio and stuff, and like yeah. take another pull of that whiskey, which we don't really drink in the studio or anything because we're trying to do well, but just enough to get uh, kind of recreate a, yeah. a show, you know? Yeah. Because um, I guess like it's one of those things where you can get all the technical stuff right, right, and have it perfect, but if that whatever it is mm-hmm. that's needed in that song to make it a like a an anthem or like a right. <laughs> a barroom drinker or whatever the case right. like or, you know, or an intimate sad, song yeah, like you're like saying the, yeah um, whatever mood it is like if that's missing you can just it's it you you know it's gone from right the, yeah you'd listen the, the back product, and be like yeah. what's missing like there's something wrong with this I've, all, I've 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 often thought about like bringing in like a small group of people or something to the studio like to make it more of a show but I just when you had, like you screw up, you're like, oh, we got to do that again. They'd end up listening to the same song like 15 yeah. times or whatever well, it is, five times, and they. That's be... the thing too is like the. Uh, I mean, you guys, you just said 20 songs in three days, mm-hmm. which, you know, that means you guys are going through them. But like, obviously, like sessions aren't necessarily what people like the the average person probably thinks you are. It's right. a lot yeah. of repetition. It's a lot of yeah. boring. Just yeah. kind of like the same old. Yeah, exactly. Thing. Well, yeah, it's a lot of like, well, hey, that was good, but uh, maybe try it, like, dig in deeper. And you're like, what does that mean? I don't know. I'll, I'll figure it out. Yeah. Uh, so, but but we were really really pleased with how the record turned out, and we're really excited about the next one. Um, uh, OT two, I guess. Ottoman Turks two, we're just yeah. gonna call it. That. Uh, okay, so these twenty songs, you know. Mm-hmm. Like what's the what's the time span? Obviously, you know, you said the band's ten ten years, but right. I'm assuming like there's not much material that has seeped its I way. Mean, to, be, so, I, uh, there are songs on the first record and on the second one uh, that we played at our first show. <laughs> oh really? Yeah. What, what, like uh, what? So let's see. There's one. Okay, well, uh, this one we didn't play at our first show. We played at our second. Uh, Can't promise nothing. It's a third song in what we call the trilogy. Uh, it starts side B on the first record. Um, it's uh, I find myself more lonesome every day. OCP and then Can't Promise Nothing is the third one. That was that was a song that that I finished writing and then we uh, played at our second show ever, which was at a coffee shop, which did not go over well because we were even, we were pretty loud even back then. But um, uh, and then it, it really kind of runs the whole thing. Apathy is one that I had written a couple of years before, uh, but then had just, I don't know, never did anything with. I think there's a demo of it that I had put on SoundCloud just to like kind of get it down. And I think uh, Will reminded me of it at some point. And I had done like another version of it for like a solo project thing. Um, and then, but we'd never tried it with Turks before, and we literally we were practicing for the record. Like, I don't know what else can we put on here uh, to just try and fill it out. Like, what what do we have to draw from beyond what we play live? And uh, I think honestly, the first time we played it in the in our rehearsal space, um, Josh 
pulled out the slide and started doing something similar to what he does on the record, and we were just like, okay, that that sounds cool. And then it ended up becoming our our second single. So, right. Yeah. Uh, that was pretty fresh and new, and and. Um, What's well, it's also like the first song on the record, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah exactly. I just feel like it. it um, it's such a like a mood setter. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like you, like it just. My favorite records are those records that feel like a one whole thing, right? Oh yeah, and for like, sure. Mine too. I, I feel like that very much sets the the tone of what this record's gonna be. Right, you, right. You like you know what this band is. You know what I mean? Well, from that is a compliment. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's what we hoped. You know. Yeah. Um, I I think like one of my favorite aspects of your songwriting is like there's this. A little bit of this, like tongue-in-cheek kind of, like you know, snarl, especially right. like on something like apathy or like, right. uh, where it, it, it can be, you can. There's a few songs w- where you go, uh, you know, you're making like light of like hard situations. Yeah. You know? um, <laughs> is that something that you you felt like you feel like you've just comes natural, or or is it something that you've Realized only when other people have mentioned it. It's there's an element I think of playing music that is like a. I mean, like I was in theater in high school and stuff, so there's always been an element of that where I'm like uh, uh, putting on a character, or, or or it's it's being able to face things in yourself or in your life or things that you observe that you would have a hard time, you know, facing. Uh, uh, just head on, I guess, and so there's kind of, I think that has something to do with it, uh, and just, I've always, um, I mean, I kind of, it kind of goes hand in hand, I've always, like, if there's something tough or, uh, um, uncomfortable, I always kind of have to face it with a joke, you know, like, right. if, if you're gonna cry about it, you might as well laugh about it, or whatever, so I think that that kind of, um, is a big part of how I write is like okay so here's the situation how do I flip it on its head and kind of like make light of it but also like hint at the darkness you know I, I um, we were listening to just random stuff on the way up everything from Franz Ferdinand to 90s country and um, but Roger Miller came on and I, uh, so I'm still thinking about him because he's so good at that it's always like this really dark thing but it's laugh out loud funny every time right uh so that's a big influence uh on me and i think josh too but um we always try to have especially in turks it lends itself well to having that roger miller element in it yeah uh yeah roger miller there's like this story about him uh being a firefighter in amarillo really and being never heard this yeah and being like fired because he literally missed the fucking call like to, to go put out a put out a, yeah that's yeah. kind of the step one I think right yeah, right um, it, but it's he's such a, a a great songwriter as far as like yeah picking out the the saddest right universal feeling but also like being able to go you know wink at it you right. know and be like yeah. and also say like yeah this I, I did that like that was my fault or whatever you know like because that's such a hard thing to face too sometimes you know um, I mean, you know, apathy is not the character in apathy or whatever the, is is based off of real experiences that I have lived. Uh, but it's not a good person, you know. So uh, it's also about trying to f- make 
those people and and yourself and accept yourself just make them human you know right right there's i was talking with someone about this earlier about like one of the strongest suits as, as a songwriter you can have is empathy right yeah, for sure and, oh, and it, is, it is the uh you know like it's that's what i think a lot of artists are able to tap into right. uh understanding the worst kinds of people or the worst right. yeah. in people yeah. and and personifying that for mm-hmm. three and a half five minutes or whatever the case right. is and find a way to make it that's i mean that's the trick too is find a way to make it uh, uh kind of universal uh because it's like you may not be a musician but you certainly we've probably all felt the same thing so like how do you talk about being a musician or the life of being a musician but then also make it applicable to a bunch of things and or a bunch of people and uh, that is that's a difficult thing to do, but that's that's the fun of that's the challenge of of, of writing and all that that mm-hmm. makes it so fun. Yeah. This episode is sponsored by Hill Barbecue here in Lubbock, Texas. As you know, COVID nineteen and social distancing and this quarantine in general is having a major impact on local and small business. A lot of places have had to adapt their game plans going forward. One of those places has been Hill Barbecue. It's been one of my favorite spots here in Lubbock. Andrew and Jewel Hill, the owners and operators, first opened up back in 2018 over in in Leveland. Uh, At that time, they were called Embers Barbecue. Since then, they've moved over to downtown Lubbock, changed their name to Hill Barbecue, and have just really just been gaining some significant traction with the uh, the with locals and getting steady press in they were featured on texas meatly had a pretty big front page spread over on the lubbock avalanche journal and you know got the seal of approval from i guess you know like the the barbecue godfather barbecue editor daniel vaughn over at texas monthly they've been incredibly music and art friendly as well they set up at first friday art trail uh they've been set up at Blue Light Live as well for special events. Uh, the guys over in American Aquarium and songwriters like Ross Cooper and Grady Spencer, uh, they're all major fans as well. But as I mentioned earlier, small businesses and restaurants have been greatly affected by Quarantine 2020. What Hill Barbecue has done has been to transition into a non-contact delivery every few weeks. Luckily, this is one of those weeks. You can pre-order for a Saturday delivery if you act now. It's super easy. You head over to realtexasgrit.com, click on pre-order, and you'll have about eight options on what you can order. You can get the Flatlander, the Vaquero, the Holy Roller. Each of them comes with a pound of juicy brisket, two beef links, two large sides, and all the fixings. And then depending on which one you choose of those three, you know, you'll get uh, additionally some like ribs or or turkey or pulled pork um, or you can just get them all if you order you know the biggest one of all the bad ombre I don't know if you have any maybe you have like 10 kids and you have to feed everybody uh, I went ahead and got the vaquero that that's the one that comes with the ribs so uh, yeah whichever you choose go ahead and just add it into your cart and it's literally just like ordering anything that you've ordered online after that you know, address uh, credit card number, all that kind of stuff. If you want a delivery for this week, you'll need to get your order in by Friday morning. 
by 9 a.m. After that, they'll be shutting down orders until the next time. Just for clarity, I'm talking about April 10th. That's when you'll need to be getting your orders in by 9 a.m. And then they will deliver April 11th, Saturday, the following day. Again, Hill Barbecue is a mighty fine West Texas Panhandle Barbecue. Andrew and Jewel, they are awfully nice and earnest and hardworking and just really salt of the earth kind of folks um, who just happen to make really, really incredible, great barbecue. I'll throw in a link into the show notes, but again, just head over to realtexasgrit.com and pre-order. You mentioned John Pettigo yeah. uh, producing the record. He produced Josh. Right. His, uh, his forthcoming record. Mm-hmm. I think like forthcoming is probably like uh, journalists' favorite word. Yeah. If you look at like go, once I mention it now, go look yeah. at any article you I'm read. I'm not gonna stop going, seeing it. <laughs> pop up. Anyways, yeah. uh, I guess like most people may know him from the O's, right? Um, but it feels like this last couple of years he's just really pushed a whole bunch of uh, records that he's produced. Yeah, for sure. Know? I mean, he's got a knack for it, man. Well, what is it? Do you think that that, that where he's been able to um, get the best out of all these different bands? Because it, it's a, that's another thing is I don't think like that all these bands, all these records aren't the same right. record. That's very true. Yeah, um, that's a good question actually, and I don't know if I've ever really stopped to think about it. He's a music lover. He's got a way. He hears songs, and it could be any pop songs, uh, but if he if he gets it then he loves it and he can pick it apart we always talk about how in the studio he'll like tell you i kind of alluded to it earlier but he'll tell you like this random phrase uh like you know i don't know that sounded too uh this way you should you should play it like you're eating a cheeseburger and you're like okay all right i think i understand and then for some reason that next take you're gonna be like all right i'm eating a cheeseburger right now and you play it like that and all of a sudden it like works so he's just got this way of hearing music describing music and we're all actually we're huge fans of of his own music he's got that pedagogue's magic pilsner Mm -hmm. um and so i think probably everybody that records with him is also just a fan uh and so we can appreciate each, each other in a, in a way <laughs> trash cans yeah uh, in a way that uh, that just works um, yeah I don't know I, I wonder if There's it's magic if it's somewhere. a um, if his trick is saying something like that and it just makes you take your mind off of what you were doing yeah originally. probably yeah and you're just thinking about that and like it takes you out of that? it enough but you're still in it enough yeah, yeah there yeah that's probably true um, but yeah, like he's, I guess like some of these records that he's done is uh, Ottoman Turks, right. the the the, uh, the records by Josh, mm-hmm. um, Forty Acre Mule, right, which uh, he also plays guitar in. So yeah, I saw. Like, it, yeah. I guess he was opening for. They were opening for. Uh, I think it was a Charlie Crockett show. Yeah, yeah, that probably makes like sense. Yeah, yeah. six months ago, uh, over here at Cactus, and it was. I just, I, I fucking loved it. Yeah, they're great. Um, and I think did he not do the uh, did he do um, the Vandaliers the Native record? Yes, he did the Native, and I think Americinda with them as well, the, their first record. Um, and then he's got a couple. Uh, he's recorded with a few other people, but I think it's mostly like singles have come out and stuff mm-hmm. like that. But yeah, yeah. Well, what is it like? It feels like there's this. I, I always think that 
if you're if you're not in it, you always probably think it's a little bit bigger and a little bit more connected and than it maybe really is. But like, what is what's happening like right now in in this Dallas scene that just feels like there's a lot of stuff coming. That's a good coming question. together. Yeah, it's. I mean, I think it's. It is connected. I don't think anybody really stopped to think about it until like this last year or two years, you know, because uh, it was just well. Texas in general, Austin maybe not, but um, Texas has so much good stuff going on in general, but it's so disconnected from everything else, people just pass over it, you know, I mean, you know, Lubbock's a music town too, mm-hmm. um, and Dallas certainly is, or DFW in general, um, kind of the whole Metroplex, and so I think for a long time we didn't think of ourselves as being able to break into anything, we were just doing it in our own insular scene, and then all of a sudden there were, there were certain people that kind of started to do it vandaliers charlie crockett uh and you're like oh okay that's cool you know great and then you just keep doing your thing and all of a sudden it's like people started to pick up like oh there's something coming out of here and i think part of it was just a lot of people being friends playing music in the same scene for a while and just kind of pushing each other up until the point where people can't ignore it anymore you know Mm -hmm. we've always known uh i mean you know we've been around since high school and we would sneak into uh, like Adairs and places like that which already had that reputation for having great music and it was like one great residency uh, a night like through the whole week um, I just remember going and being blown away uh, so it's always been there I think it's just kind of everybody realized including the people in the scene like oh we are a part of or we can be a part of something bigger than just Dallas or Fort Worth or Denton or whatever. Right. Uh, and slowly, you know, media and things like that. I mean, you can't ignore Charlie Crockett's records, you know? <laughs> like, right, right, yeah. There's just, there's, I think obviously like the, like social media and the internet has, that helps too, has helped sure. immensely yeah. uh, connecting these different scenes. But it is, I think there, there's been these like waves here in Lubbock that when you're in the middle of it, you're not really right it's not until someone like it's it's like that moment in the in a dream mm-hmm. where you realize it's a dream yes yeah yeah um <laughs> where like there's something in the dream that where like it, it points itself out like yeah. hey this is a dream and that's like this i feel like the same kind of bubble that's or a wave or rise or whatever right in a scene where when once someone mentions it then you go huh you, oh yeah, yeah i guess so like there's yep. all these things For are kind of sure. happening and it feels uh, like that's what's kind of happening right there yeah, right now. I think so, for sure. Um, what is it about Dallas that's kind of like is Dallas like the the city in like the, the the Metroplex area? This like mix of super city, like you know, like yeah, it's, and it's big, yeah. Obviously, like just highway and country, and like right. <laughs> you mentioned, eight airs. Uh, how is that influenced and like shaped the the sound of Ottoman Turks? Well, bands, you know, that we kind of knew of, like I said, we didn't know that we were going to take it seriously until we, you know, started to, like, out of necessity, like, we have to do this. Um, But we were always kind of around, well, okay, so for me, I had a turning point. When I came back from Chicago, Josh had just started this, um, uh, open mic sort of it was a songwriter night at this little bar that's since closed um, called Amsterdam Bar and they had just started I think they'd done a few weeks before I came home and then um, it was him and a couple other songwriters and uh, 
uh, I was like, oh man, like all this, I've been just inundating myself with music because I was not happy where I was at. So I was just like in my dorm, like soaking myself in blues and country and just whatever I could find. And then I came back and all of a sudden there were these writers around. I'm like, oh, people, everybody does this. Like I'm not the only one writing songs. I knew Josh did. I knew Billy did. Uh, but then there were these other people that I'd never met before, you know, and then it slowly kind of connected all the dots for me. Um, and turn, you know, we'd all kind of grown up in Dallas. Um, I'd moved around a bunch as a kid, but then landed in Dallas in like sixth grade, so it had been a while. Um, and I think there is something funny about it. It's 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 got a reputation, you know, big D and all that, live live large, whatever kind of mentality. Um, but it's still got that very Texan thing. Um, so it's this funny mix of super upscale. And then also, you know, uh, kind of poverty and, and country. It's rural in random places in the suburbs, and they're being developed and all that. So especially back then, like, uh, it was all on the rise. Um, so there's this kind of very urban uh, uh, element to Ottoman Turks, I think. It's kind of like, not to compare it to this, but... Um, I was big into the, like the Chicago blues. Like Helen Wolf's one of my. He's probably my. I stopped listening to the blues when I heard Helen Wolf because I was like, <laughs> "This is how you do it." Like that's he's the guy. Uh, that's all I ever had to listen to again. Um, but so that was kind of the same thing where it has this. You know, uh, they all were influenced by the Delta in Mississippi, but then they moved to Chicago, so it's got this very like city feel to it, but with right. this influence of the rural. And I think Dallas, especially, you know, ten years ago, had that feel still you know it's very texan but it was also very big city um and i think that that definitely seeps its way into what turks does <laughs> yeah uh and then yeah just all of the there's a lot of great songwriting for some reason that that lives there so right i think like that's i've never lived in a a big city before yeah. and it's just i i, I just i at this point I, I don't think i could um <laughs> but like if you get that many people there's just so many different um, kinds of music that are happening. Sure. That, yeah. Or like, not even necessarily music, but just like scenes yeah. of, of... Different cultures collide and right, stuff like yeah. that. Yeah. And I, I think like you, you can't sum up a place like Dallas in one sentence, right? Sure. You, know, you mentioned yeah. like the, the poverty aspect, right? Yeah, like the... The gentrification that's happening, yes. right? <laughs> the the filling up of the suburbs mm -hmm. and but like also at the same time, I think like you also think of, and, and this is like an old ass reference, but like the the, the show Dallas. I almost right? referenced it to be honest because you know? that's the reputation Dallas yeah. has, and I mean there's an element of truth to it, you know. Uh, those people certainly yeah. like live in Dallas. You know? There's this uh, photo that I saw on on Instagram. And it's like, we're, I, not Instagram, but Twitter. Um, and it's like of, I guess in the 50s. And it's like this cowboy watching his cattle. But, and he's like in the middle of a pasture. But like he sees Dallas like in the yeah. in the distance. And it's like this, you know, the, the uh, all these tall buildings in the, the skyline, right? right. Mm -hmm. And you just get this like, the... Um, like the juxtaposition, of right? Yeah, yeah, like the juxtaposition, but also like that feeling of the, like that that it's just coming. You know what I mean? Like, right. Like Encroaching. The, the, yes. The yeah. inevitable 
like uh, storm clouds on the horizon. Yeah, 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 it is like, yeah, it's mm-hmm. like, yeah, that's it's, exactly what it is. Yeah, I and I love that sort of thing. I, I actually, I, what I graduated in was architecture, so that's like a um, kind of, I love that sort of thing. Uh, and there's a lot of really cool pictures if you look up uh, Central. It's a highway, 75 in Dallas, you know. And um, they just kind of built it, I think, in the 50s, and they just built it north. Uh, and so there's some really cool pictures of it, just this highway to nowhere, because there's just fields everywhere. Like, there were no suburbs yet. So, like, once it got out of Dallas proper, there's just nothing. But it's kind of the same thing. You can see it coming. Like, I'm sure when they laid down Central, uh, uh, all those farmers were just like, this is the beginning of the end. But yeah, there's still some, uh, you drive up Central, you, there's still some, like, uh, farmland that clearly the people just haven't sold. Yeah, that's awesome. That's really cool. Yeah. It's <laughs> like it, it's just one of those things where it's city and, and, and town and country, right? Right. Um, I mean, and that's kind of a Texan element, too. You right, know? yeah. I, I think this is probably going off subject, but <laughs> I remember, uh, I guess I watched a, a Vox video. Like, the, oh, yeah. Mm-hmm how interstates kind of like ruin cities yeah yeah and they mentioned like dfw as like interesting these and i know like about how and the reason their reasoning on it is that they've made interstates go through instead of like making interstates go around cities right interstates go right through and it kind of cuts things and, off yeah and, and you you get a whole lot of different neighborhoods getting cut off destroyed yeah. Mm-hmm. obviously yeah yeah a uh, lot of the slums i think in dallas just yeah. became Highways, exactly, concrete yeah. and asphalt. You know? Right, um, and it, there was it's all these obviously poor people, a lot of people of color, right, who just have no power and yep. have no way to say for sure. Hey, uh, there's no like no way to like voice, no voice their opinion, yeah, right, or, or to organize or anything. Yep. Um, yeah, and it's funny. Like I think, uh, uh, unlike some cities. I think the highways in Dallas really work now, but you read up on the history and, and just the things that were destroyed in the process of making Dallas what it is now. And Dallas has a horrible history of that. Like, anything cool and old, they tore down. And yeah. still do, really. Like, it's it's really rough, especially I'm, I'm a hardcore preservationist for things like that. Uh, and so it's heartbreaking. I can't even pick up one of those, like, then and now books for Dallas because I'm like, <laughs> I just, I'll cry. It's, it's horrible. Yeah. But, I mean, that kind of influences it, too. I mean, Deep Ellum... Uh, which is, you know, like where Aders is and all that, is still such an important part of music because it was the one, like, black neighborhood that, like, kind of they kept or didn't pave over, and they almost did. Um, But so it managed to hang on to the culture that, like, still kind of survives to this day. And, of course, it's been gentrified and all that. But that's actually my... So my parents, when I was in high school and, and before, moved basically to Deep Ellum. And so, and it was not as like uh, developed as it is now. Um, so I've got to see the whole thing, and it's a it's a catch twenty two. Like it's there's people there on weeknights, which that was not the case when I was growing up. Uh, but then you also get the gentrification, and like it's not exactly the same. It doesn't have the heart that it necessarily did before, but you can still find it. Yeah. And it's nice that it's still there. Like, yeah. You know. I do think that, like that's the there like I. As uh, as humans, we we do have the the nostalgia of mm-hmm. everything, right? And For sure. I, I think like obviously one of the the biggest parts of nostalgia that I find is that the reason you love something from 
before is simply because you're younger then. Yeah, right. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, and you and, can look at it through those kind of rose-colored glasses. And, yeah, and, and, like, of course, like, people were younger that you loved, right? Right. <laughs> uh, that entire aspect. But it's not necessarily always better back then. You right. know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but whatever you're, whatever that is that you're trying to remember there are those pockets still out there and that like it's your job to find them yeah, or, or to create sure. them or, or or even just remember them to some degree mm-hmm. you know you can acknowledge the bad with the good but I think it's it's important to you know preserve it and not just pave over it and like pretend like it was never there you right. know uh, it's, it's about balancing the nostalgia I guess yeah in a way. yeah um, see I'm like, I'm from out in Fort Stockton where okay yeah there's yeah. like we don't have enough like history to knock down and <laughs> rebuild. Right, right, you know right. what I mean. So it's it's always been. But even in that, like I think, um, growing up there, I'd never really appreciated uh, or understood that a lot of the history uh, is still around. Like if you go yeah. to a lot of other West Texas towns, like their downtowns are all dead. Yeah, yeah. You know, for sure. Um, because of. Walmart, everything, yeah, right. <laughs> Big boxes uh, and highways, and yeah, yeah. But it's, uh, I don't know, man. Um, yeah, I think we've been running here for a little yeah, bit. Here. Okay, yeah, sorry. Uh, yeah, yeah. Get into the the architecture and Dallas history and. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah.